Holy Spirit, would you take all the things we've talked about over the last few weeks and, yeah, help us to digest. It's so often we kind of, we're so tempted just to move on to the new and the next, but it's so important that we take time to digest, to process, to sit with, to sit in the things that you're speaking and not just rush forward. And so as our conversation circles back around, would you bring to mind Jesus said of you that you would bring all things to our remembrance and you teach us all that we need to know. So would you bring to mind the things that are really relevant and important for our hearts right now from the ground we've covered over the last few weeks. Help us to go a layer deeper in living love, experiencing the love of the Father, not just in our head, but in our hearts. For your kingdom's sake we pray. Amen. Yeah, so... Some people would consider this morning kind of review, but it's not really review. It's just we're not teaching as much as we're having a conversation, and conversations sometimes circle back around, right? Or you're like, what was that thing you were saying? Can you go back to that? Or sometimes you just forget what's happened. I, I've told you this before. Sometimes I don't even remember what I said three weeks ago. I'm the one that said it. How do I, should I expect you to remember anything I said three weeks ago? So every once in a while, it's important to kind of come back around and say, these are some things we've talked about. This is the journey that we've been on together. And of course, incorporating into this morning, I want to take some time that we can hear from each other. So I'm going to play this video. I'm going to blast us through some slides, and then we're going to have time to, to hear from each other. What were some of the highlight points? What were some of the moments, the things that the Holy Spirit's been up to in our hearts? So... Yeah, I want to start us off with a, a sonnet, actually, because I, I just happen to YouTube sonnets all the time and Google sonnets. Uh, no, I, I came across this, and I thought it was really appropriate for what we've been talking about over the last little bit. Um, hopefully, you can follow along with this guy's accent. This is in light of Trinity Sunday today. So it's called Trinity Sunday, and this answers exactly your question if the triune poet was inviting us. And through creation, what would that invitation be? Is exactly what it would be. In the beginning, not in time or space, but in the quick before both space and time, in life, in love, in coherent grace, in three in one, in one in three, in rhyme, in music, in the whole creation story, in his own image, his imagination, the triune poet makes us for his glory and makes us each the other's inspiration. He calls us out of darkness, chaos, chance, to improvise a music of our own, to sing the chord that calls us to the dance, three notes resounding from a single tone, to sing the end in whom we all begin, our God beyond, beside us, and within. Get all that? <laughs> Did you catch that? How many of you wish I had his accent? That'd make for interesting Sunday mornings. Huh? We might need to play that again, but I just love that. The triune poet, and we're going to come around towards the end of what that has to do with what we've been talking about. But really quick, we're just going to blast through some of the things we've covered. This whole living love series really birthed in me because of this idea and, and my own experience with God's love. 
1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome, the Greek word for that is the telos, of your faith, the salvation, sozo, of your souls. This word sozo can mean salvation, but we've talked about before, it can also mean healing. That the telos of our faith, that the outcome, the end of the journey that God is taking us on, has to do with and incorporates the healing of our souls. And by the end of our morning, I hope that you will have a really good idea of why that's so important. We begin by talking about this idea. Jesus said in front of this crowd, all of you who are thirsty, let's, Richie, turn, let's turn it down a little bit. All of you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. For as the scriptures say, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. And we ask the question, what does it look like to live a life out of ourselves that rivers of living water would flow, that we are those life-giving people that when people are around us, they feel like they've just been reinvigorated, refreshed, and just touched and tasted life itself. And we talked about this guy and some of the things that get in the way. We talked about the Lego G-O-D and how God is not angry, furrowed eyebrows, Lego God, but Father, Son, and Spirit. And how in light of that, we're wired for relationship, that true healing, health, wholeness comes in community because we're wired in the image of a God that is relationship. That's why God said it's not good for the human, the man, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And we talked about how that's really about doing all of those domestic things that women... I'm totally kidding, I'm sorry. Um, we talked about how this word suitable helper would better be translated powerful equal, rescuer, or lifesaver. That the word helper is the same word in Hebrew that's often used of God as God comes to rescue Israel from predicaments that they put themselves in. And that suitable does not just mean somebody that's beneath or subservient to, but it's equal, counterpart, it's face to face. That's why Adam freaked out when he saw Eve. He's like, finally, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, like this is good. Because he saw someone that was an equal to him. We talked a little bit about shame, and I wanted to drop this statement on you from a friend, Paul Young. He says, shame causes observations to be interpreted as value statements, and value statements to be interpreted as observations. What does that mean practically? That means, like, what was the example yesterday? What, did I, what was the stupid thing, that one of the stupid things I did yesterday? I left, I left Nathan, no, I left the boys. Yeah, this was the stupid thing I did. We went to Spooner's Cove yesterday, and I left Zach and Trevor on top of that huge rock. Um, Eric, Janie, don't listen. Um, I left Zach and Trevor on top of that huge rock in the middle of Spooner's Cove while I went all the way to the other side to bring Nathan back to Sarah. And I come back, and Sarah's like, She's just like, yeah, that probably wasn't really safe to leave them there. She wasn't accusing me. She wasn't judging. She was just making a wise woman observation of something that would never have occurred to me. So what shame does in an instance like that is says, you're stupid. You're incompetent. You don't understand anything. Was Sarah saying any of that? Sarah was just saying, probably wasn't wise, bud, to leave two crazy boys like that on this thing that they could fall to their death. Oh, okay, gotcha. 
Sorry, you don't ever have to send Trevor this anywhere if you don't want. Um, but you guys all have experience with that, don't you? That somebody will make an observation and we treat it, shame causes it to come in as an accusation. But then the flip side of that is that shame will also take value statements like you are so important, you're so worthy, you are so valuable, you have so much to offer, and shame will say, yeah, but doesn't everybody? How many of you have ever experienced that? So we take value statements from the Father's heart and we interpret them as observations. Yeah, well, of course God loves me. God has to love me. God loves everybody. And so shame takes the things that we should absorb and makes them unabsorbable and the things that we shouldn't absorb and makes them core lies. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so one of the things that we tried to talk about, and maybe some of you experienced that, is we talked about this idea that maybe God doesn't just love you because God has to love, but maybe God actually likes you. Now, wouldn't that be crazy? We told, talked about this guy named Uncle Seamus that just started crying as he's skipping on the shores in Ireland, and his, his nephew says, why are you so happy? Why are, you, why are there tears in your eyes? And he says, Father of Jesus is very fond of you. Just that reality that how would it change things for us if we realize that the Father doesn't just love us out of character and necessity, but actually likes us and delights in being in our presence. No, that couldn't be true, could it? We talked about how just maybe all of Jesus' life was a response to that pleasure that he felt coming from the Father's heart. And we gave the example of his baptism. And you can read it later. We talked about how the opposite of performance Christianity, we talked about how some of us, we spend time over here in performance Christianity where we know that what we do is going to earn kind of our accolades with God and with others. And so we live in this performance mode, this driven mode, and then we get burnt out on that. And we realize that's not working for us because that's exhausting. And so then we slide over here the passive mode, and it's just like, well, then I'm just going to be. I'm not going to worry about doing. I'm just going to be, and I'm not going to ever do anything. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about performance, and it's not about passivity. It's about finding the middle ground. It's about finding the way through that, where everything you do is ignited and driven and compelled by my love in the same way that everything I did was ignited and animated by the Father's love. Man, imagine if we could actually get that. And we share the scripture, for Christ's love compels us. What is the engine driving our car? Is it the hamster wheel of, of performance? Or is our car not going anywhere? Or is it being driven by the love of Jesus? And we got a little psychological and we talked a few minutes about these things like secure attachment. And yeah, a friend of mine is learning a lot about attachment things and it's a, quite a complicated thing, isn't it? Um, but we talked about elements of secure attachment and you can take a picture of that or check it out later but we talked about waves how some of us in our relationships will wave back and forth and for speed readers in here we talked about all these different things that waves will do in relationship and we talked about islands so in a nutshell when we're waving in our relationships and we carry these over into our relationship with God, waves are the ones that are never really sure where they stand with people. They're the people that need constant reassurance. Are we okay? Are we good? How are we doing? And they'll kind of come in for affection. And then if they sense any rejection, they'll just go flooding out and, 
and run away and hide. And so some of us are like that in our relationship with God and with other people. Some of us are islands, and islands are kind of like, well, you know what, I can just, I'll be fine. I don't really need you. I, I can do it on my own. I don't need anything from anybody. I'll be out here all fine by myself. And the problem when we go into island mode is that it's kind of hard for anyone's love to reach us because one of the ways that God has wired us to receive love is by actually needing other people. Love lands in our lives through our needs. And when we don't actually make ourselves vulnerable to need anything from anybody, then love has nowhere to land. None of you know what I'm talking about, right? So we talked about islanding. And then we talked about anchoring. And we talked about how Jesus was anchored to the Father, where he was secure and confident in the Father's affection for him. And some of the characteristics of anchors. And we talked about how really none of you are islands, none of you are waves, that Jesus has come and traded his security in the Father and given us his assurance in place of our anxiety. That's what part of being in Christ means. And the journey in life and community is actually having our brains and our lives rewired so that the way of our being, the way we live our lives, lines up with the truth of who we are in Jesus and the attachment to the Father that Jesus knows and has come to share with us. And we told the story of the prodigal God and the prodigal sons. And we talked about how maybe that's not just an external story, but what if that's actually a story that goes on inside of all of us? What if all of us have pieces of the older brother in us? that think that we can strive and achieve and earn and that we need to earn? And what if all of us have pieces of ourselves that have run far away and we kind of hide them off in the corners of our being? And we're like, eh, don't, ever, don't ever talk about that part of me. Don't ever let anybody see that. But maybe the prodigal story is the drama going on within all of our hearts. And God says, I see all of that and I embrace all of that. I'm not scared of any part of you, so you don't need to be either. And Betty Fry brought out this beautiful thing about how sometimes the things we hide aren't the things that are weak or the things that are vulnerable or the things that are... What's the word I'm looking for? Shameful. Sometimes the things that we downplay are the things that are strong and beautiful and powerful because we don't want to make anyone else feel uncomfortable. How many of you have ever found yourself kind of pushing something aside, something that's good and powerful and rich and right and true in you. You've pushed that aside because you aren't sure how other people are going to take it. You know what I'm talking about? So I thought this quote was appropriate, and it's, it's really short. I'm sure it's the first time you've ever come across it. You know this, right? You've heard this before? And you, you live like this? This lady, Marianne Williamson, I'll read it just because it's nice to hear and to see. She said, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. It is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. 
And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fears, our presence automatically liberates others. We could sit in that for a while, can't we? Have you ever paid attention when Nathan comes cruising in here on his scooter? What kind of presence and confidence and just assurance does he embody when he does that, this little two-year-old boy? He comes in and it's like, well, if you're in his way, you better get out of the way, right? Not in a mean way, but he just brings this like, hey, I'm going to totally fill my space in the world and not apologize for it. Can I go here for just a minute? I remember the other day, so, so Sarah and I, you know, that thing, the time, the guy and the place, they did the thing. You were there. The other day, Sarah and I were at the store, and this guy, uh, elderly gentleman, Sarah's just standing there with the, our big jogging stroller, and this guy turns around and he bumps into her. He kind of turned and stepped into her and bumped his knee onto our stroller. And he looked at her as if looking for an apology. You've had that happen, haven't you? And he's like, how dare you be there in my path? Right? And I was really proud of Sarah because she didn't apologize. She did not apologize for simply taking up her space in the world. And I, I was contrasting that a few months ago. I went down to Hollywood for something I can't tell you about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, for a little conference, but I was in Hollywood. And on the corner of the street, there was this lady, and I, she was with a, a blind man, and I think it was probably her uncle or something. He was a lot older, and she was kind of telling him, hey, so uncle, we're going we're gonna to go this direction, and, and you don't have to, but this is where I'm going, and this is the way the street is. And there were two other people standing there, these two women. And as the, I'm trying to play, like, describe this right so you can get the weight of it, but so this blind man, he decides to not listen to his guide, to his niece, and he starts going his own direction and he bumps into one of these ladies. He bumps into her, and, and the lady, she said, oh, I'm sorry. And that really struck me for some reason, because I was like, why is she? Now, of course, she's doing that to be polite, but did she really need to apologize? He's the one that bumped into her. He wasn't listening to the person that was guiding him. But I thought, how often do we feel the need to apologize and not really just own our space in the world that God has gifted us to occupy? Do we ever apologize for things that God has put into us and we kind of just shrink back? And I found this, this quote, or this, uh, this translation of Jesus' words. You'll all be familiar with with this, but maybe not this way of putting it. You're all familiar with Jesus' phrase, come unto me, right? After Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son, and no one knows the Son but the Father. And he says, except for those that the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. And then Jesus says, come unto me, all your weary burden, and, and we all know that. But listen to the way that this is translated in the message. I love this. Jesus says, are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the un 
forced rhythms of grace. That's a million-dollar line right there. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's the invitation that Jesus offers us, and we spend most of our lives trying to figure out how on earth that looks. Anybody know who this is? So I wanted to share a, a story about this guy real quick and then bring it back around and we're going to share and pray. Um, so there was, a, I think it was a psychiatrist or somebody, professor, at one point. He was talking in a seminar about Martin Luther King Jr. And he was talking about how Martin Luther King Jr., most of his drivenness, his passion, his motivation for doing what he did, according to this professor, was to try to please his father. Well, some of you can relate to that. Was to try to please his father. And as the professor was trying to make his point, he was talking about the power of coming into wholeness and of, of letting loose our, our burdens and our, um, our getting rid of our baggage. And somebody from the, the audience yelled this out. Well, thank God he never got well-adjusted. And I had to bring that in because I think it's easy when we go into this time of talking about shame and wholeness and healing and stuff like that, that it's easy to get kicked into this mode of like, well, one day when I'm blank, one day when I'm more whole, one day when I'm healed, one day when I'm fixed, one day when I'm okay, And Jesus just says, no, just walk with me now. The healing will happen on the journey. So don't sit and wait for all this to happen, but live love now to the most, to the capacity that you can, and let me take care of the rest. Last thought, and this is what I think is really, really important. How many of you have heard that you, you've heard people quote John chapter 3 where John the Baptist says, he, he says this thing about Jesus, that Jesus will increase and he will decrease. You ever heard people talk about that? And we have this saying that we, we take the verses where it says that God wants to form us into the image of Jesus. How many of you have been taught or heard that, that it's our job to look as much like Jesus as we can? Who's heard that taught before? that it's our job to look as much like Jesus as we can. I have bad news for you. When John the Baptist said that he may increase and I will decrease, he was not talking about his selfhood. He was not talking about his personality, his uniqueness, his individuality. He was talking about his ministry. He was saying it's time for my ministry to start diminishing and for me to step out of the limelight and let Jesus step into the spotlight. What John the Baptist said had nothing to do with his selfhood, his personhood, his identity. And so I want to disagree with the people that have told you that your job is to look more and more like Jesus. What if actually your job is to live more and more with the character and love of Jesus expressed through your own unique beauty and value and ideas and talents and gifts and passions 
what if the Father doesn't want a billion little mini Jesuses running around? But the Father wants to love you to a place where you are this one-of-a-kind expression of the image of the Trinity that will never exist again in the history of the universe animated and empowered by the love and character and life of Jesus. Is that a paradigm shift for anybody? Hmm. Yeah. It could go that direction, couldn't it? Yeah. Which is why the character of Jesus is so crucial in that. Because I don't think that Jesus wants... How do I want to say this? All right, I'm going to show you guys something. You might not like this. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you a video clip in a minute. Remember Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are God's accomplishment. And that word accomplishment is this Greek word poema, which, from which we get our word poem. Created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Why would God have spent all the time and energy giving us our uniqueness only to wipe it away and replace it with the face of Jesus? God says, You're not my tool. You're not my workmanship. Yes, you can use that word. You are my poem that's a unique, rhythmic, melodic, articulate expression of my life. I don't want to lose this thought. This is what I was feeling during worship. Um, I want you guys to kind of sit with this so that we can see who, who this is for. I feel like there are certain people in this room that you're in a season of life, whether it's, whether it's brought on by natural chronological transition, you know, moving from high school to college or um, middle school to, to high school or a job transition or a life transition. There are certain people that are in a certain transition or some of you feel new things birthing or, or surfacing in your heart, but you don't yet know what to do with it because you don't have enough clarity. I felt like God was reminding me that the reality of our identity, we often think identity is something we need to go back to and find. But identity is dynamic. Identity is ever-increasing. And in the body of Christ and in our life with Jesus, we uncover our identity in layers. And what I was feeling is that there are some of you that are right at one of those boundary points in terms of your identity, that you're moving into uncharted territory of your own self, that there's something going on that you're about to encounter that God's inviting you into. You don't yet know what to do with it. You're excited and you're scared because it's going to take you to new layers of trust with God, but also new, players of, new layers of discovery in yourself. Does anybody resonate with that right now? Where you feel this invitation into a new thing and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. But it's exciting and it's scary. So I felt like we were supposed to pray for some of you that, that feel like that's going on. A new identity layer, a new discovery. That might mess with your heads a little bit. Father, would you show us what this means? That you have created us beautifully, uniquely, powerfully, with strength, with light, 
with something to offer that you have taken our lives and as a triune poet, you've used them as a canvas to express your glory. And some of us are, are just about to uncover new lines of the poem that we weren't aware of before. Some of us are stepping into new territory and discovering new facets of ourselves in this adventure with you that, that we don't know what to do with. It's uncharted territory. Thank you that you'll meet us in that. Would you speak to us right now? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you help value statements to be interpreted as value statements in this morning? Would you speak the thing that our hearts need to hear? Would you help us not to apologize for totally taking up our space in the world that you have given us? May we walk around with a confidence knowing that you are for us and that that's all that really matters. 